time, even now confessing to God the sin of envy. I wish I could do that. Friends, thank you for uh, blessing the house with a little Mozart there. Friends, good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the 24th Sunday. Goodness. After Pentecost, uh, Advent, Christmas will be here in no time. It's good to worship God together in this way. Those of you in the room, those of you joining us online, what a great day it is. As I look around, by the way, I know that uh, a good number of you are visiting with us. We're really honored that you have come. We hope you'll come back. We hope you'll leave us some contact information. I think there's a QR code. You hand me a note, you know, your email address, anything. Uh, we can begin the process of befriending one another. That would be a terrific thing. Um, so, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It's so good to be in worship with you all. Um, as Dr. Howell already mentioned, uh, we are well on our ways through the holidays, which means there's so much happening in the life of the church, so we encourage you to look in the bulletin to see all that's happening as we prepare for Advent and so that we can be a worshiping community together. Um, as Thanksgiving approaches, there's one thing we want to bring to your attention, which is a Thanksgiving table tithe. Uh, our church is collecting $50 gift cards to Harris Teeter, um, and we need your help. So we encourage you to, um, to continue, or to consider being generous to that uh, ministry. We're so grateful that we get to worship together today. Let us continue to worship.
Church, let us continue to raise our voices as we joyfully remember what we believe with the Apostles' Creed, which is found in your hymnal. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. it is our great joy and privilege to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism today alexander patrick bailey bring their daughter brooke elise bailey erica and james davis bring their daughter charlotte austin davis and sarah and headley jennings bring their son william barton headley jennings brothers and sisters in christ through the sacrament of baptism we are initiated into christ's holy church we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. So friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say, we do. Do you confess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say, we do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say, we will. And will you, the members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say, we will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. The days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea, their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. 
In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who through you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Charlotte Austin Davis, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. William Barton Headley Jennings, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Brooke Elise Bailey, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. remember our own baptisms, may we join in the prayer of confession together as a church. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Church, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. morning. 
The Old Testament reading is Joshua, chapter 24, beginning with the first verse. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. But the people said to Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. Then put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So, God made, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Laura, thank you for that uh, reading. Uh, I love this moment when Joshua declares, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's actually the title of uh, my favorite book about marriage. It's called As For Me and My House by a guy named Walter Wangeren. It's a book that's uh, funny, spot on, thoughtful, wise. I really like it. This moment, um, Joshua 24, it happens at a place where uh, back in June, I had the privilege of taking our high school seniors. We took our graduating high school seniors to Israel. What a thrill for me to get to do that. And we went to a place I don't often take groups, to the top of Mount Gerizim there in Samaria. And from the top of that mountain, you can see the valley where Shechem is. And this is where Joshua gathered the tribes. And I had them read this passage aloud, and we reflected on it. And I said to them, what this text tells us is that you got to make a decision. In fact, you got to make a lot of decisions. And, and they took that seriously, going off now to college and the rest of their lives. It's true for all of us. you got to make a decision. You got to make a lot of decisions. I don't know how we think about that, making a decision for God. It could be, you know, like at a revival, you know, you accept Christ. You decide from now on, He's the one. He's the axis around which my life will rotate. He, he's my, you could, that's a decision. Uh, you could make the decision, it's about lifestyle, it's about an ethic, it's how you carry on, what you do with yourself. So that's the decision that we need to make. It's about, uh, as we've been talking about recently, uh, pursuing a spiritual life, saying I, I'm, instead of just going to church on Sunday, I'm going to have a spiritual life during the week. I want ongoing 
intimacy with God. It's a lot of little decisions. It's a lot of uh, big decisions. I love the, I don't know if you heard it, uh, there's this, so Joshua says this, and the people say, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua responds by saying, you cannot serve the Lord. I mean, what an odd answer. <laughs> what he's saying to them is that you can try to serve the Lord, and that's good, but you, you, you're, you're going to mess it up. You're, you're going to fall short. You, you, some humility is required. Some forgiveness is required. Some time is required. Sometimes uh, our uh, failures are more spectacular than at other times. The other night, Lisa and I were in the den, and uh, she read aloud to me from a novel that she's reading. It's called Lessons in Chemistry. There's a TV series based on this as well. And the passage she read, uh, Harriet is talking to Elizabeth, their neighbors, and um, Harriet uh, asks her, says, do you believe in God? And, and Harriet says, well, yeah, I, I do. Most people do. And Elizabeth says, well, my mom doesn't. And Harriet said, I know, trying to disguise her disapproval. And then listen to this. Harriet thought it was wrong not to believe in God. In her opinion, believing in God just was required. It's like brushing your teeth or wearing underwear. They didn't laugh at 9.45, so you're, <laughs> you're my favorite group today. It's like wearing underwear. Certainly, all decent people believed in God. Even some indecent people, like her husband, believed in God. God is why they were still married and why their marriage was her burden to bear, because it was given to her by God. God was big on burdens, and he made sure everybody got one. <laughs> Besides, if you didn't believe in God, you also didn't get to believe in heaven or hell. And she very much wanted to believe in hell because she very much wanted to believe that Mr. Sloan was going there. <laughs> Another spectacular failure. Years ago, I had a church member. <laughs> He's been dead a long time now. And uh, one day we were talking. He got kind of teary. He said, uh, I'd like to tell you about my wedding night. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm not sure I really wish to know about your wedding night. He said, I'm going to tell you anyway. He said, uh, it was time to go to bed. He said, and my wife knelt beside the bed and said, we're not going to bed until we have prayed. He said, we prayed and we have prayed every night of our married life, 60-something years. He said, and then when we wake up in the morning before we get out of bed, first thing we do, read the upper room devotional. I was really moved and impressed by this, but not for long. Because I knew this guy, and I knew his wife, and, you know, they were mean as hornets. <laughs> kind of people, you see them coming, you just duck, run for cover. A spectacular failure. Um, Joshua addresses the Israelites there in that valley of Shechem, and he really gives them three choices. This is so interesting. He says, uh, you can choose the God of your ancestors, you can choose the God of this land, or you can serve the Lord. God of the ancestors, God of this land, or the Lord. What would it mean? Joshua says, leave behind the gods of your ancestors. What can he mean by this? I've told, if you've been with me long, you have heard me talk about my much beloved grandparents, Mama and Papa Howell. I had the great blessing to spend a lot of time with them growing up, precious, wonderful people. I've never known better people. Very religious, never missed church, pious, Bible readers, prayerful people. But I've wondered about this, if I could travel back in time, which I cannot, 
and interview them. I, sometimes I think there's some things I might like to ask them about. If I could go back, see, my grandparents were people who lived in the first half of the 20th century as white people in the rural South. What would they say about how they felt about black people? I don't know the answer to this, but I do know that near their home during their adult lifetime, there were lynchings. Did they know about that? Did they try to rescue anybody? I have no idea. Uh, they were Southern Baptists back in the 30s and 40s, and I would love to be able to go back and tell them, you know, you're going to have a great-granddaughter, my daughter, who is a preacher. What would they make of that news? They might say, hallelujah, but I don't know. I suspect if they were like other people like them in those days, my grandfather might have said, that's ah, just not right. Having a woman in the pulpit, I do not fault them for these or any other beliefs that they have. They were creatures of their time. We are all creatures of our time. They were as holy as they possibly could be. And my premise always is, is that uh, for them, as for you, when you die and you get to heaven, God's not going to say, I am very impressed. You got it right on everything. No, we'll get there and God will say, you know, you're right about these four things, but on these other three things, man, were you misguided? And we'll laugh at ourselves and say, how, how did I miss that? How could I have whiffed on that one? And it, it'll be a, like a great thing. It'll happen for all of us. And I believe that my grandparents are up there in heaven rooting for me, our ancestors in heaven, rooting for us to do better than they did, to think better than they did, to be truer. God's the ancestors. Joshua also says, put, put, put away the gods of this land. It would be easy, wouldn't it, to chide those who bow down to the deities of our culture. Easy, Mark. There's so much in our culture that is vapid, vapid that is vulgar, uh, that is violent. It wouldn't be hard to pick that apart. I've been pondering lately the two things that I want to talk to you about this morning. One's easy to talk about, and one's very difficult to talk about. I'll start with the easy one. Education. Marilyn, I recently, Marilyn Robinson, I don't know if you know her, is a great novelist. She wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning Gilead. My favorite of her novels is called Housekeeping. Just a great writer. I got to meet her one time. It's great. She, she wrote an essay, though, recently that I read. And her essay begins by saying, I miss civilization and I want it back. <laughs> I miss civilization. I wonder about what she's thinking about is the humanity. She wrote another little book that says, when I was a child, I read books. And what she's saying is the kids today, I don't know that they really read books. They have gadgets, right? We, we, we have our gadgets that we're attached to. Do, do we read great books? I, I was talking one time to a, I'll leave him unnamed, a college president. And he was bragging to me. I was impressed. He was bragging to me, that, but he said this thing. He said, we don't ask our students to read the great books any longer. He said, now we're training students so that they'll get a job when they get out. I appreciate that. I had kids get out of school. You need to get a job. <laughs> but I wonder about the great books. I answered him by saying, you know, the classic goal of higher education for decades and decades has been that we're to help young people to become wise and good. 
What are you doing in your school to help students to become wise and good? He had no real answer to that. The great books, Marilyn Robinson wrote, now we are less interested in the exploration of the glorious mind. We are more engrossed in the drama of staying ahead of whatever we think is pursuing us. The spirit of our time is one of, I love this phrase, the spirit of our time is one of joyless urgency, preparing ourselves and our children to be means to the end of economic servitude. Ouch. There's this anti-intellectual strain in Christianity, isn't there? I uh, recently went to a high school reunion, chatted with my buddy Marvin. Years ago, the first time we were at a reunion, uh, Marvin lived in Atlanta. He came, we talked, he told me what he was doing for a living. He said, James, what are you doing for a living? I said, Marvin, I'm a preacher. He said, oh no, that's a shame. I thought, Marvin, why is that a shame? He said, well, just in high school, you were so smart. I hear if you're smart, could you be a Christian? So there's, a, there's, there's something in Christianity, it, it's about being as smart as you can be. It, it's about great books. It's about heroes. It's not about what you can monitor. I, I will need that. You may wish I left it down there, but... Christianity is about great books. It's about, it's not about being productive, right? Prayer is about, it's kind of wasting time with God. You're just with God. It's not like doing the American thing of being productive or something. We're just still, we know that God is God, spiritual life, heroes. We love learning. Here's the second thing that's harder to talk about. In the same essay, Marilyn Robinson laments uh, the way the adjective Christian has been hijacked in our culture. You don't hear the word Christian very often, and she says primarily we hear it from people who are on the way far right. They use the term all the time, and they're loud about it. She said there's, on the way far left, there's a little bit of racket over there about Christianity, but not much. She said what she worries about is those of us who are in the center, those of us who are mainline people, or, or as she put it, those who are uncantankerous. I love that. Uncantankerous. There's a strange silence not responding to what's going on on these other ends. You know the kind of Christianity that I'm talking about. We see it. It's uh, a sneering, judgmental, angry kind of Christianity. It's more vulgar than virtuous. The country could decide to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, it's a democracy. That's a thing. But don't call it Christian. Good grief. We do these things. These uh, people, they, they, they claim it's Christian, but they say things like, uh, the, the poor should be blamed, not helped. We should be very afraid of people who are foreigners. Uh, they have all these things uh, that they say. Marilyn Robinson wrote this, I am moving toward the conclusion that these Christians, if they have ever read their Bible, are not much impressed by what they find there. Like, I love that. They maybe have read a Bible, but they're not much impressed because they, and, and she goes on to point out, and I double-checked all this this week. I did the research for you. This is so interesting. The poor in the Bible are never once blamed 
or vilified, ever. Foreigners in the Bible are never detested, ever. They're to be welcomed. They're to be loved. Jesus, when he talks about things like swords, Jesus says, put down your sword. Uh, these Christians today say that if Jesus were here today, he'd be armed with an automatic weapon, and he'd arm his disciples, and Jesus' bad end wouldn't have happened to him. Goodness. Uh, the Bible says, here's a good example, the Bible says very clearly, if you have the world's goods and see someone in need but close your heart against him, how can you say God's love abides in you? The Bible says uh, you love the Samaritan, you turn the other cheek. Marilyn Robinson reflects on Jesus saying the first will be last, and Jesus saying judge not. And the fact that Jesus hung around with people that it made everybody so apoplectic that he hung around with them. He hung around with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. Oh, my, he ate with them and so on. Here's what Marilyn concludes. We have it on good authority that prostitutes and sinners might well enter heaven before we do. It is difficult to respond to this with a heartfelt amen if one has found comfort in despising people in whom Christ clearly finds great value. I warn you regularly, you don't thank me for it, but you should. I warn you regularly about your political ideology, and I say it's your idolatry. In our culture, that's the great idolatry of our day. People, they've got their political ideology they think that's what will deliver the day. If my party just ruined power, if my guy just is the one that's in charge, if we just could only win the next election, then the kingdom of God would dawn. But if those other guys are there, it's just going to be so terrible and wicked. And, and there's so much, uh, how do I put it, uh, there's so much that is not Christian in both of our political ideologies. I started making a list the other day to share with you, and I realized we'd be here until about 5 o'clock tonight. You don't want to stay till 5 o'clock tonight. So I thought I would just choose one thing to talk about. And it sounds like it's a political thing, but it is not. It is a matter of character. I want to talk for a minute or so about gerrymandering. Right now, gerrymandering has most recently been done by Republicans here in North Carolina, but they don't have pride of place. Democrats have had their busy times of gerrymandering as well. Now, if you look at a gerrymandered political map, what you see is it's laughable. Show it to a child and try to explain it to the child. It looks like a salamander or something, or I thought about this the other day. If you look at a gerrymandered political map and think of it as a Rorschach test, you know, there's like an ink blot, it's a Rorschach test, and when you look at it, like, what do you see there? When I look at a gerrymandered map, I look at it and I think, I think what I see there is corruption. Let's be clear, God does not, thanks be to God, gerrymander. God does not look down and draw lines and say, oh, these people are in. Oh, those people are out. Oh, I want to include these so they are blessed. Oh, I don't wish for those to receive. God does not gerrymander. And we should be people of character who know how to say no. 
to this. The Christians who founded this country, what they wanted was a representative democracy. They wanted a balance of powers. They did not wish for too much power to be concentrated in any one person. The Christians who founded this country. <sighs> Choose the Lord. What does it mean to choose the Lord? To choose the Lord, we want to think in ways that are true. We want to think in ways that are biblical. We want to think in ways that are holy. We want to think in ways that might help us to fulfill the mission that God has put before us. It's not about my bias. It's not about my preference. It's not about what works to my advantage. Real Christians are more than happy to sacrifice what would be good for them for the good of other people. This is on every page of the Bible and has totally fallen out of our common usage of the word Christian. What kind of community did God set up? He didn't erect a meritocracy. He didn't erect a kind of world where half the people right and half the people wrong and we're divided and angry all the time. God sent Jesus to show us how to be, how to choose. He taught us how to live in sync with God the Father. Jesus came to show us a holiness that is humble, a holiness that is generous, a holiness that is wise, a holiness that never sneers, that never passes judgment on other people, a holiness that would never be called mean. Jesus came to show us a holiness that always has our antenna up, trying to detect when we are being driven by fear, because in the body of Christ, we know that when we are driven by fear, bad things happen. God told us, you don't have to fear. God's got the world in his hands. You can trust that. You don't have to be driven by fear. Don't have to be consumed by that. Jesus came to show us a holiness that loves beauty, tenderness. Jesus was kind. You've noticed this? Jesus was kind to everybody except, except the people that were smug and righteous and pointed the finger at others. Jesus came to show us a holiness that is curious. Jesus came to show us, I don't know if these are the right words, but I'll try it anyway, a holiness that is brave but not tough. You see the difference? God wants us to be brave, but I don't think we have to be tough. Uh, I'm almost done. Um, I've told you before, my friend Sam Wells, who is the uh, rector of St. Martin in the Fields in London, wrote, wrote a book years ago where he said the most important theological word in the Bible is with. And I thought that's absolutely right. God is with us. We, the Bible doesn't say God's a genie that grants your wishes or God is a protective bubble. God is with us, and we are with God, and we are with one another. We're not supposed to be against one another. We are with one another. I'm going to write Sam a note, though, because I have a new candidate for the most important theological word in the Bible. Maybe it's a tie with the word with, and that word would be all. All. I've been rummaging back through my Bible, and it's uncanny how often the word all appears. God's love is for all. 
God wants the blessing of this world to be for, not some, but for all. We are to love all. We want all to have a good education, not just some. We want all to have enough. There's a story way back from my, when I was a young man. Um, I had this recollection of this. I was driving eastern North Carolina somewhere, and I was hungry, and I noticed this diner by the side of the road. So I pulled over, and I went in, and there was just, you know, stools at this bar, and there's a cook in there. He's a real gregarious guy, and I'm the only customer, and I order something. He whips it up, makes my sandwich, hands it to me. I'm starting to eat. Second customer comes in. He's still studying his menu when another customer comes in. Now, the first three of us I told you about were white people. This next customer that came in was a black guy. And when he came in, the cook, uh, he grew a little bit somber. And he said to the black customer, he said, "Uh, you know the drill. He said, tell me what you want and go back outside. I'll bring it around to you when it's ready. The second customer at that point put his menu down and stood up to leave. The cook said, where are you going? You haven't even ordered yet. The guy said, I'm leaving. He said, why are you leaving? He said, if everybody ain't welcome, ain't nobody welcome. Like the words of Jesus, if everybody ain't welcome, ain't nobody welcome. Friends, there's a kind of Christianity that breaks God's heart, and it should break our hearts. And we should be a little louder to say there's another way. There is a better way. There is a humbler way. There is a holier way. It's a way for all. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God of all peoples, we rejoice that you have gathered us here, that you have called each of us by name, and that we do not remain just as ourselves. We form a beautiful community. It's a blessing to know we have this space together where we all come with our own fragilities, insecurities and securities, discomforts and comforts of being in your presence. And as we all sit here, we know you are with us, knitting us wonderfully together. Lord, in your mercy. God, we are so thankful for your merciful heart. Many times we forget, neglect, and obscure our perspective on how to serve you. We fall short on doing your will and your ways. In those moments, forgive us and heal us of our narrowed views and short-sighted perspective that err on benefiting ourselves rather than all, as you would have us do. Lord, in your mercy, Aching God, envelop our hearts with the compassion and tenderness that is you. We pray for your tenderness to be enacted through the ways we engage, interact, 
and navigate our social connections. May we, through this way of living, change one person, ourselves, one neighbor, one community, one county at a time. And we also continue to ache and long for peace beyond our immediate reach, knowing that your spirit can impact even the hardest of hearts. And so we lift specifically this morning Israel and Gaza and Palestine, Ukraine and Russia. We lift our southern border. We lift dehumanizing systemic matters that lower someone's worth when we are called to raise everybody's worth. Lord, in your mercy. God, we lift those whom are struggling with illness, body aches, heart aches, and spiritual aches. May we offer comfort for those who suffer, peace for the conflicted, and ease for the anxious and distressed. Lord, in your mercy. God of all peoples, you have heard our prayers, the spoken and unspoken. We offer them in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together as a beautiful mosaic family, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we just want to lift thanks for our health ministries and our congregational care team. We've got a wonderful blood drive happening right now in the basement of our church. If you did not sign up, that's okay. There's still time after the service to go and donate life. Now let us continue to worship by giving generously.
Generous God, it is a joy to give back unto your work. So we may, may we be a church that goes to the margins so there are no longer margins, that we are all called to be one people. In Jesus' name, amen. May the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.